This presentation was from UX Australia 2017, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Um, this is Elena from Facebook. This is Elena. She's from Facebook. She's not actually Elena from Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Two sentences there. Uh, and as you can see from the screen, she's going to be talking to us today about um, content strategy for chatbots. Thanks. Good morning. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. I'd like to get started by asking how many of you have tried online dating? So few, okay. Well, those of you who raised your hands can appreciate the fact that on one of my dates, the guy who showed up didn't exactly look like the guy in the profile photos. Superficial, I know. But the conversation started out pleasantly enough. Hi, I'm Elena. How do you do? What do you do? And so on. But the more drinks we had, the more he started sharing, like about his ex-girlfriend. And as I sat there thinking, if I was at home watching TV, this is when I changed the channel, he kept going on about how she broke up with him when she got into medical school and would she ever take him back. You're probably sitting there thinking, I'm here to learn about content strategy for bots. Why is this woman standing up there talking to me about online dating? I know, I can't believe it either. But what I do believe is that whether you're building a bot or going on a date, you're trying to create a relationship. And I'm here to make sure you create a healthy one. The most important part of any relationship is communication. And that's where content strategy comes in. Content strategy will help your bot set expectations so you can bridge the gap between what you put out there and what people actually experience. It'll help you give people the context and transparency they need to understand and trust your intentions. And it'll help you create engaging interactions so people will actually want to see you again and again and again. My work in PR, marketing, and content strategy has taught me how to talk to people from every possible angle. I use this experience every day at Facebook where I help the messenger brand sound and feel more human. I lead the content strategy for Messenger Platform and its presence at F8, Facebook's annual developer conference where we announce the latest features available. My work includes developing UI content and demos for our product and partner experiences, writing the website that outlines the technology and tools available, and writing all of the content for the F8 bot, a bot we built specifically for attendees to use during the conference. I also wrote the Messenger platform guidelines that I'll be sharing with you today. But before I get started, let me warn you. Everyone's still learning about bots and about relationships. The technology itself is still being fine-tuned, and it will continue to evolve and change, especially as the people building it stop to look at how people are actually using and reacting to it. I'm going to focus on that second piece today, how to humanize the bot experiences you build and write. So even if you're still learning about the technology behind it, I'll make sure you understand how to set yourself up for success by sharing what I've learned, mostly about bots and a little bit about relationships, because they're all connected. Now, no tech talk would be complete without some obligatory facts and figures. But before I throw a bunch of numbers and statistics at you, I want to answer what is possibly the most important question of this session. What is a bot? 
In the simplest of terms, a bot is software that automates tasks. Think of it as using OpenTable to make a dinner reservation, automatically creating a reminder for that dinner reservation, then requesting a ride to the restaurant. It's a technology that searches for all available tables on a Friday night, adds time and location details to your calendar, and lets you know how soon someone will be available to drive you. Chatbots are like Siri and Alexa and give you the ability to automate tasks within a conversational interface. Using these same examples, M, your personal assistant in Messenger, can help you narrow down dinner options and book a table for an upcoming date. M can also help you after the date, just in case things didn't go exactly as planned. There are a variety of ways your business can use bots. Bots can help you reach more customers more often at a lower cost. You can increase engagement without increasing staff or overhead. You can interact with people outside of your region or country. You can have conversations that are convenient, contextual, and delightful. In Messenger, businesses are building bots to deliver weather forecasts, daily news, and order updates. They provide customer service, travel recommendations, and account balances. They let you track your mental health, play games, and alter your photos. Not all of these use cases mimic conversations, but they all require content. But more on that later. There are over 7.4 billion people in the world, and every day we send at least 15 to 20 text messages. Those numbers will continue to grow as people increasingly consider messaging an essential, valuable part of their lives. 76% already think messaging improves their lives, and 53% say they're more willing to shop with a business that they can message directly. There's so much potential, it's hard not to be impressed. But we ha also have to be thoughtful. There's a person behind each of these numbers. Individuals with their own thoughts, feelings, and expectations. So while technology makes it easier than ever to have even more conversations, at the end of the day, you're talking to people, and people are complicated. Our imaginations outpace the reality of today's technology. We expect our gadgets and apps to be so artificially intelligent that they know our preferences and the intent of our actions, yet we're weary of sharing personal data. We want seamless, error-free functionality, yet we want to put in minimal effort. We're simultaneously in awe and suspicious of technology. Much of that is because we anthropomorphize it. Hollywood creates backstories for it, backstories that make technology sentient. Now, some of those stories are good. Technology has a personality that's obedient, curious, and romanticizes the human species. But most of the stories are bad. Technology appears friendly at first, but then it starts to manipulate you. It goes behind your back or two times you. It becomes adversarial. And when it's not trying to take over the world, it's trying to kill you. Fantastical, yes. But don't underestimate the influence of Hollywood in our imaginations. These stories stay with us, and our minds take them further. While people are curious about technology, they're also predisposed. The cool factor of non-human interactions doesn't outweigh any bias that people may have. 
And bias typically operates on extremes. Either technology has a higher standard of good and well-informed intentions, or it's omniscient in the most evil and duplicitous of ways. All of you in this room are somewhere in between because we're in the bubble that realistically understands how the technology works and what it can do. But when you're building a bot, you need to forget everything you know. You need to design in the right for the people who know nothing, as well as those whose imaginations are still holding on to some of that science fiction. Here are some ways content strategy can help you meet people in the middle. Just like a conversation, setting expectations is a two-way street. As user experience professionals, we want to build what's best for the people who use our products. But we also have to be mindful of what's best for ourselves. To build the right relationship, you have to know what you're looking for. So before you build your bot, build out your strategy. Decide what kind of relationships you want to have with customers, what you want to get back from people, and what you want to accomplish together. When we created the first F8 bot, we were looking for a short-term relationship. The conference is only two days long, and most of the attendees are from out of town, so our goals were simple. But how are we going to accomplish this? We started by listing all the things we wanted in a bot. We wanted to know everything about the conference partners and products. We wanted it to entertain with trivia, historical facts, and polls. We wanted it to answer, answer attendees' questions. And we wanted it to mimic the voice of a particular golden robot from a galaxy far, far away. We wanted the perfect bot. Then we got realistic. We wanted our bot to do everything. But there's a difference between getting things done and doing them well. We had to look at how much we could bring to the relationship. We didn't start working on the first F8 bot until about three weeks before the conference, and it was a side project, something we worked on when our main relationships and priorities weren't demanding our attention. To make room in our life for the F8 bot, we had to make some sacrifices. We revisited our list of ideals and defined our must-haves, nice-to-haves, and deal-breakers. While we originally wanted to build six different features, we only ended up building one. Bots hold a lot of promise, but they can also be humbling. We're humans building non-human interactions. We have to consider things like time and resources and how those factors Im impact the quality of the experience. Humans aren't capable of everything, so don't feel like your bot has to be. But since we're in UX, we naturally want to explore all the possibilities. And with that comes this often self-imposed pressure to get really creative to pull out all the bells and whistles so we can really impress. But complexity doesn't equal quality. A bot can be both simple and good. Look at our relationships with our smartphones. We're addicted to them, but how many of us know everything our phones can do? Personally, I have over 160 apps on my phone and use about 10, maybe. I mainly use it to annihilate my brother in Scrabble, but I digress. My point is, your chatbot doesn't need to be identical to your standalone app. If you're a bank, it's okay if you only offer account balance updates and not check deposits. 
If you're in retail, it's okay if you only or offer order confirmation updates and not customer service. Your bot doesn't have to do everything you do everywhere else. It can be a comp compliment. It doesn't have to be a clone. Let's look at Whole Foods as an example. With its app, you can get coupons, see what's on sale, find recipes, create a shopping list, and order groceries. With its messenger bot, you can only find recipes. Just because it only offers one feature doesn't mean it doesn't offer real functionality that everyone can enjoy. And it doesn't mean that's all it will ever do. Remember, we're all still learning. The technology is still evolving. It's okay to enter the bot world one step at a time, one feature at a time, and then do that one thing really well. Because you wanna make a good first impression, and what impresses people know most is being yourself. I also like to think of bots as getting the attention of that popular kid in school. You know, the one that you actually grew up with, but who stopped talking to you when you both became freshmen and then suddenly acknowledges your existence again second semester of senior year. You look around, you point at yourself, and you're like, me? Because it's been a while since they wanted anything from you. Then you start searching for the perfect thing to say because you don't want them to disappear again. Except no. Just because a popular kid or some hot new technology comes along doesn't mean you have to change who you are. Be authentic. While a bot may be a new way for your business to communicate, it doesn't have to change your communication style. If your company has an established voice, your bot can use it too. Because your voice is your personality. You're new to this. The people you'll be talking to are new to this. Give everyone one less thing to figure out by sticking with what you and your customers already know. Now, if you want to try a new tone, there are some simple ways to mirror the conversational nature of the interface. And being conversational is just a style of writing. It doesn't impact the experience you build or what you're actually communicating. It just encourages the use of everyday colloquial language. You can also decide if you want to speak as a bot or even acknowledge that you are a bot. Both CNN and TechCrunch adjust their tone slightly to use first person, but only TechCrunch introduces itself as a bot. As these examples illustrate, writing conversationally doesn't mean creating an entirely new brand or changing what people know about you. It simply means using a more personal tone, talking more, more like a human and less like a bot. Now, when experimenting with tone, there's a fine line between using a more personal conversational style and getting too personal. In a short period of time, written communication has evolved from letters to emails and websites, to text messages. We can have more conversations more quickly, and we've adjusted our communication style accordingly. We become more casual and less formal. A recent study even shows that the more you use punctuation in your text messages, the more you're viewed as insincere. Cue the collective gasps of writers everywhere. Please, please, Please ignore these texting trends. The interface you're using may be more casual and informal, but you still want to be taken seriously, so maintain the basic rules of writing, proper spelling, capitalization, 
and sentence structure will only help you set better expectations. I've seen bots become so informal that the tone dilutes its actual utility. The content focuses so much on being casual and clever that people don't understand what the bot does or how to use it. Instead, people think it's designed for back and forth conversation, but then that doesn't work either. Soon enough, people stop using the bot altogether. Now, the great thing about tone is that it changes, and you can change it without changing what's being communicated. Your bot doesn't always have to be casual. Make adjustments along the way based on your environment and the topic of conversation. Do what feels right for the experience you're building and your content. Now, M has a very distinct voice. You experience that voice the first time you meet M, and it's carried through when M completes various tasks. But what about those times when someone asks M about something more serious? I had to determine how M will respond if someone asks about a recent attack or disaster and wants to know if their loved one is okay. Now, we don't have access to that type of information, and we have to honor privacy laws, but we don't want to abandon people when they're already worried or scared. I considered terms like, I'm sorry, or unfortunately, but felt those set a negative tone in an already serious situation. As humans, we rely on these terms to reassure and apologize, but since M won't actually know if someone was affected and whether or not they're safe, it felt inappropriate to imply otherwise. In these circumstances, people expect information, not sympathy. I had to ignore my human instinct to make someone feel better. I had to write a response that was factual yet sensitive, a response that wouldn't heighten emotions even further. Setting expectations is the most important piece of advice I have for you today. Because of our imaginations and our biases, if you don't set expectations, people will expect everything. People can't read your minds, and technically bots don't have one, so be upfront and tell people what you're thinking. Meet users where they already are, so you can build the trust you need to take them where you want them to go. Now, because bots are often associated with artificial intelligence, writing for bots requires a high level of emotional intelligence. It requires the kind of transparency we wish existed in our interpersonal relationships. You have to be clear and honest about your intentions. You have to explain the who, what, where, when, why, and how. You have to admit when something goes wrong. Writing for bots requires going outside of your human communication comfort zone. As humans, we're not very good at this. We struggle with it. Being vulnerable is hard. Admitting when you're wrong, even harder. We have walls, we have baggage, and we have moods. We have different perspectives, different communication styles, different love languages, different languages, period. As you develop your content, Look for ways to balance your business goals with the emotional factors that guide how people think and behave. You're creating an automated interaction, but it doesn't have to feel mechanical. You're a human writing a bot for other humans. Consider all the feels. Be compassionate, be empathic, and most of all, be patient. 
How many of you practice conversations by talking to yourself? Really, just that those few, okay. Well, I do it all of the time. <laughs> and creating, chat, creating content for chatbots really isn't that different. So before you start, just imagine how the conversation will go. What questions are being asked? What questions do you want to answer? What words are being used? Just like your voice, use language your audience is already familiar with. Write down the words you use with your customers and the words they use to describe you. Now, the same word can mean different things to different people. For example, you might think quirky means fun. I might think it's just a really polite way of saying someone's really, really weird. If you and your customers define the same thing differently, go with their meaning. In Messenger, we have something called admin text, which confirms an action taken within a conversation. I had to determine what language to use for account linking scenarios. There are bots that enable people to log into an account outside of Messenger, link that account to the bot, and then start getting updates about that account in Messenger. I recommended being detailed when confirming that the login action was complete, a recommendation one partner wanted me to make less specific. To them, being logged into the account meant having all the functionality of the account, looking at bills, making payments, checking balances, etc. However, their bot would only be providing purchase confirmation updates. So to them, the login was a temporary one and only took place for account linking purposes. I wanted to be thorough and make sure my original logic didn't overlook anything, so I revisited my language and the user flow. But no matter how I looked at it, I kept coming back to the end user and their perspective. Just because a bot offers a different range of services doesn't change the perception of how those services are accessed. In the end, we stayed with the recommended language because the existing mental model of logging in and out is associated with account and not time duration. And temporary or not, customers would be using the same username and password to access the account. It also needed to be clear what experience people were logged into so it wouldn't be confused with another experience they may have recently interacted with. And additionally, the content preceding the action could be used to set expectations and provide clarity about what would happen next. Telling people what happens next is a big part of getting them to use and keep using your bot. Using the strategy you build, start mapping out the conversations you imagined having. Determine all the paths people can take to complete the tasks you've outlined, then start writing. Write out all the prompts and responses you want to send. Include the keywords you've already identified. Use your existing voice and tone to be as descriptive as possible to set expectations. When we narrowed down the features for the first F8 bot, we wanted to focus on simply giving attendees basic conference information. Our intent was to answer anything associated with scheduling, time, speakers, and locations. For example, the FA bot could tell you how many people were speaking in total, details about a specific presenter, who was speaking on what topic, who was currently hosting a session, and where that session was being held. We mapped it out so that everything worked together to keep the conversation on track and on task. We listed all the possible user intents, when they'd be asking for information, and whether we wanted to respond to the occasional hello, thank you, or the messenger equivalent of the like button. 
Once we mapped everything out, nearly every prompt and response to, was written to educate users about what they could do and how to get it done. And nearly every path they pursued, we offered reminders about our core function. Now, we all know someone who tells the same stories over and over and over, and he constantly reuses the same catchphrase. But how many of us actually enjoy those conversations? Well, the same thing goes for conversations with bots. So I kept writing and writing until I had three to five responses for each prompt. Because if you send the same response over and over, people will think your functionality is limited and people will get bored. People tend to ignore the things that they find boring. But people are people, so they're gonna test you. See if they can find your triggers. As humans, we don't like getting our buttons pushed, but welcome it for your bot, because the insight will be invaluable. It will introduce you to different paths and perspectives. When writing our first F8 bot, I tried to weave in some of those positive Hollywood backstories by implying that our bot was sentient. I gave it thoughts, the bot had opinions, and it wanted to be part of the human world. Per our original goals, I was trying to be delightful and memorable. And we all agreed I was succeeding until we opened it up for testing and people started asking for the bathroom. I obviously wasn't picturing that scenario when writing this content. Our F8 bot quickly went from delightful to creepy. So I started revising. I turned questions into statements. I removed time references so responses could be more evergreen. And I edited for length and clarity. And I talked to myself a lot. Because finding the right words is one thing. It's another to capture the right rhythm and nuances. By reading my content out loud, often to myself alone at night on my couch, I could hear where the content didn't sound very conversational and adjust my word choice and punctuation accordingly. No matter how much you plan, you cannot predict all of the outcomes. So test early and often, invite feedback and other perspectives, and talk to yourself a little bit along the way. See if things turn out as expected. If setting expectations is king, Providing context is queen. So use your content to guide people every step of the way. Let them know what stage they're at, what's being asked of them, and what will happen next. Give people the information and level of detail they need to start trusting you, to be more curious and less suspicious. Now, context can be shared before anyone even interacts with your bot while you're still building awareness. Think of it like body language. Your posture, the way you walk, and the firmness of your handshake reveal a lot about you before you say a single word. And you want to appear confident so you can instill confidence. And there's nothing more confident than putting yourself out there. People won't know about your bot or how great it is unless you tell them about it. So use your existing channels to promote your bot. With Messenger, we have plugins and customized m.mean links and parametric codes that you can add to your emails, blogs, or website. Go to where your customers already are and talk about your bot on social media. And when you do, tell them exactly what you're promoting, what will happen, and where it'll happen. None of it will mean very much if people don't even have the app where your bot exists. 
Now, when you provide context outside of your bot experience, consider the level of detail you're providing. The benefit of a chatbot interface is that all of your communication is all in one place, so people can scroll back to find key information. Your original entry point, where people even discovered that you had a bot, may not be so easy to find again. So keep your context high level and leave any detailed instructions or commands for the conversation itself. And you can think of promoting yourself like a dating profile. You want people to get curious enough to start a conversation because you can't really start getting to know each other until that first message gets sent. Now that first message can feel like a lot of pressure because you actually want people to respond. So just start by briefly introducing yourself, then get specific about your capabilities and how people can interact with you. In the F8 bot's first message, we outlined everything someone could ask about and provided examples of how they could frame their queries. We also gave people to find those instructions again by building in a help command. I created multiple versions of a response here as well, all with the same directions, but written in a variety of ways to show off the voice and personality of our bot even further. Whether you want people to type and send a command, tap a CTA, or find help in a persistent menu, always give them a way to ground themselves in your experience. A help command is like the homepage of your website, a place for people to go if they can't remember what they're looking for. Now what do you do if you're the one who needs help? There will inevitably come a time when someone asks about something you didn't plan for, that they misspell or misinterpret content, that there's simply a breakdown in communication. This is the really hard part, the part that really stings as a human being. Taking responsibility when something goes wrong, even if it's not your fault. You may have been crystal clear with your expectations and provided all the context in the world. But remember that bit about emotional intelligence? We each have our own attention spans and points of view. So your intent and the messages you send are open to interpretation. People are going to make mistakes. They're going to ignore your instructions. There will be things you didn't anticipate or simply overlooked. There's no blame when you have a bot. If you want people to keep talking to you, there's only accountability. That can be pretty tough on the human ego. But every failure really is an opportunity. So when you map out your conversations, write responses for success and fail states. That way, if your bot doesn't understand what's being asked, you can deliver a response that asks for clarification or points people back to your core functionality. For the F8 bot, each fail state either asked users to re-enter terms, remind them how to ask for help, or redirected them to our main function. Our fail states weren't always an attempt to find and deliver an answer because we didn't have all of them. Our bot had a very specific purpose, which limited what people could ask. So we had to be okay with saying, hey, I have no idea what you're talking about. These are the only things I'm capable of. <laughs> Despite my term for them, failure states aren't actually about failure. They're about helping you avoid awkward silences and conversational dead ends. Fail states are your way to get people back on track and on task. Once people are back at center, 
You can focus on continuing the conversation. And one way to keep people updated is to keep them engaged and updated, sorry. <laughs> send messages that are timely and relevant to your experience. If they place an order, send a message receipt. When the order ships, send a message with tracking information. And once it's delivered, follow up to see if you, they can need anything else. Create opportunities to restart the conversation. Now with a bot, you can communicate a lot in a short amount of time. Its automated nature means more conversations can take place more quickly. However, that speed can overwhelm if someone is learning how to interact with you or if they're multitasking. So when you're writing, try to be brief. This isn't email and phone sizes vary, so be considerate of length. And when you're sending your messages, also consider your pacing. You don't want to come on too strong by sending too many messages in a row. Now, one way to address length and pacing is by addressing the actual content of your messages. Just because a chatbot is similar to texting doesn't mean your messages have to be all text. The bulk of human conversation involves words, but gestures, facial expressions, and other nonverbals can also convey meaning. Bots don't have these to draw from, but they have access to the texting equivalent. So if photos, GIFs, and emoji are in line with your bot's voice and functionality, consider how those can speak for you in a fun and engaging way. Now, being engaging is a long way from being engaged. But even if you're just getting started with your bot, start thinking long term. The best practices I shared with you today can also help you plan how you'll evolve. Look back at your original strategy and identify how you can expand your capabilities, where you can introduce new tasks, and what simply isn't working or being used. As your resources and availability grow, make improvements and build the things you previously had to cut. As new platform tools get built, look at how those can be used to enhance your existing interactions or create new ones. As more people start interacting with you, pay attention to what they're asking for how they're asking, and when. Bring people along on your journey and let their feedback help determine where you go and what you say next. If you do, your conversations will be so engaging that people will be less likely to get up and walk away from your bot or your relationship, unlike me on that date. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we have time for questions. That shouldn't have sounded like a question. That was a statement. We have time for questions. Um, I was curious as to finding out what sort of things you guys look at to measure success or um, in a project like, say, the F8 and in the usability, uh, but even in general, some of the metrics or some of the ideas you use to approach, like measuring the success of, you know, the engagement on your bots. Yeah, you know, Messenger is really interesting because we build the platform on which other people build their bots. We don't necessarily have our regular one, but a lot of, you know, we have this discover section which focuses on all the bots and businesses available in Messenger. So for that, we look at a lot of click-through rates and like just daily active users, weekly active users, monthly active users. So it's a lot of measuring just initial clicks and also just long-term engagement. Um, I think my question was similar, but during the actual event, did you, um, did you look at the analytics or did you do any testing to work out 
where you fell short, what you didn't anticipate and improve for next year? Yeah, you know, our engineers were just on the floor reacting to things, seeing what wasn't working. And content-wise, you know, as much work as I put into that voice, in a lot of ways it can get in the way in a real-time experience. Because, like, when you're at a show, people are, you know, they have limited time to figure, find the information that they need. So if, like, your lead-in is buried because you're trying to have too much personality, that can get in the way, too. So it's a nice balance. You have to balance both. Hey, I'm interested in shaping the voice and tone. And I'm wondering what differing opinions you had within your organisation and, and politics and how you navigated that. Well, in general, the Facebook voice is straightforward and human. Uh, for F8, we decided to part from that because it's like, you know, kind of a one-time, once-a-year thing. And just to really speak to the users who are in developers and engineers. So just using a voice that they would be really responsive to. So that was our main factor in that. Was there any controversy or any any debate within your organisation? And just context, um, when we're working, probably not Facebook, like larger yeah. bureaucratic organisations, it can be really hard to get a more direct and human tone. So, yeah, just interested in the, any of the politics around that. Yeah, fortunately for FA, I didn't have any of those issues. Everyone loved it, so... <laughs> But uh, if I were to actually write a messenger bot that would be used by every day by people around the world, I wouldn't go down that route because, you know, personality is a very tricky thing, you know, when you get into those fail states where people are getting confused and they don't know what to do, like, the personalities, it'll annoy them more than they're already annoyed. So I would just consider just, you know, changing your tone and being more conversational with your existing voice because... You also want to avoid, in my opinion, naming things, creating a gender, because you're going to get onto the other's politics that's going to make things much more complicated than whatever voice you decide to write in. How would you, uh, um, I guess, measure the value of content for an emerging company that doesn't really value content? How would you put a number against it or a particular value against it? Well, A-B testing is also a great is always a great way to go about it, you know, just testing different strings. Like, people on other teams have had lots of success and in seeing increased metrics in terms of revenue and things like that. So that's something we rely on a lot. And also just, you know, user research. Like, something I've really struggled with at Facebook is whether or not to even use the word bot in our UI. I'm personally very against it, you know, but it, there's a lot of buzz out there. So it was a long-term debate on my product team. And so we just did some user research, and, I mean, no one knows what a bot is. Like, when I talk about being up here talking about bots, my friends think I'm saying the word boxes, and so just no one knows what it is. And to me, you know, just really seeing what people outside of your bubble and how they think of it is really important, especially when it comes to language, because no matter how we think about it, half the world probably doesn't even know what a bot is, and they don't care, is what we found in our user research. Terrific. Thank you very much. Um, let's go for tea. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.